0: story 16 of christmas stories by charles dickens this librivox recording is in the public domain story 16 mrs lyriper's lodgings part 2 it came on afternoon and it came on evening norfolk is a delightful street to lodge in provided you don't go lower down but of a summer evening when the dust and waste paper lie in it and stray children play in it and a kind of a gritty calm and bake settles on it and a peal of church bells is practising in the neighbourhood it is a trifle dull and never have i seen it since at such a time and never shall i see it ever more at such a time without seeing the dull june evening when that forlorn young creature sat at her open corner window on the second and me at my open corner window the other corner on the third something merciful something wiser and better far than my own self had moved me while it was yet light to sit in my bonnet and shawl and as the shadows fell and the tide rose i could sometimes when i put out my head and looked at her window below see that she leaned out a little looking down the street it was just settling dark when i saw her on the street so fearful of losing sight of her that it almost stops my breath while i tell it i went downstairs faster than i ever moved in all my life and only tapped with my hand at the major's door in passing it and slipping out she was gone already i made the same speed down the street and when i came to the corner of howard street i saw that she had turned it and was there plain before me going towards the west oh with what a thankful heart i saw her going along she was quite unacquainted with london and had very seldom been out for more than an airing in our own street where she knew two or three little children belonging to neighbours and had sometimes stood among them at the street looking at the water she must be going at hazard i knew still she kept the by-streets quite correctly as long as they would serve her and then turned up into the strand but at every corner i could see her head turned one way and that way was always the river way it may have been only the darkness and quiet of the adelphi that caused her to strike into it but she struck into it much as readily as if she had set out to go there which perhaps was the case she went straight down to the terrace and along it and looked over the iron rail and i often woke afterwards in my own bed with the horror of seeing her do it the desertion of the wharf below and the flowing of the high water there seemed to settle her purpose she looked about as if to make out the way down and she struck out the right way or the wrong way I don't know which, for I don't know the place before or since, and I followed her the way she went. It was noticeable that all this time she never once looked back, but there was now a great change in the manner of her going, and instead of going at a steady, quick walk, with her arms folded before her, among the dark, dismal arches she went in a wild way with her arms opened wide, as if they were wings, and she was flying to her death we were on the wharf and she stopped i stopped i saw her hands at her bonnet-strings and i rushed between her and the brink and took her round the waist with both my arms she might have drowned me i felt then but she could never have got quit of me down to that moment my mind had been all in amaze and not half an idea had i had in it what i should say to her but the instant i touched her it came to me like magic and i had my natural voice and my senses and even almost my breath mrs edson i says my dear take care how ever did you lose your way and stumble on a dangerous place like this "'Why, you must have come here by the most perplexing streets in all London. "'No wonder you are lost, I'm sure. "'And this place, too. "'Why, I thought nobody ever got here except me to order my coals "'and the major in the parlours to smoke his cigar. "'For I saw that blessed man close by, pretending to it. "'Ha, ah, ha, hmm, ha, coughs the major. "'And good gracious me, I says. "'Why, here he is. "'Hello, who goes there?' says the major in a military manner well i says if this don't beat everything don't you know us major jackman hello says the major who calls on jimmy jackman and more out of breath he was and did it less like life than i should have expected why here's mrs edson major i says strolling out to cool her poor head which has been very bad has missed her way and got lost and goodness knows where she might have got to but for me coming here to drop an order into my coal-merchant's letter-box and you coming here to smoke your cigar and you really are not well enough my dear i says to her to be half so far from home without me and your arm will be very acceptable i am sure major i says to him and i know she may lean upon it as heavy as she likes and now we had both got her thanks be above one on each side she was all in a cold shiver and she so continued till i laid her on her own bed and up to the early morning she held me by the hand and moaned and moaned oh wicked 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 but when at last I made believe to droop my head and be overpowered with a dead sleep, I heard that the poor young creature gives such touching and such humble thanks for being preserved from taking her own life in her madness, that I thought I should have cried my eyes out on the counterpane, and I knew she was safe. Being well enough to do and able to afford it, me and the Major laid our little plans next day, while she was asleep, worn out, and so i says to her as soon as i could do it nicely mrs edson my dear when mr edson paid me the rent for these farther six months she gave a start and i felt her large eyes look at me but i went on with it and with my needlework i can't say that i am quite sure i dated the receipt right could you let me look at it she laid her frozen cold hand upon mine and she looked through me when i was forced to look up from my needlework but i had taken the precaution of having on my spectacles i have no receipt says she ah then he has got it i says in a careless way it's of no great consequence a receipt's a receipt from that time she always had hold of my hand when i could spare it which was generally only when i read to her for of course she and me had our bits of needlework to plod at and neither of us was very handy at those little things though i am still rather proud of my share in them too considering and though she took to all i read to her i used to fancy that next to what was taught upon the mount she took most of all to his gentle compassion for us poor women, and to his young life, and to how his mother was proud of him and treasured his sayings in her heart. She had a grateful look in her eyes that never, never, never will be out of mine until they are closed in my last sleep, and when I chanced to look at her without thinking of it, I would always meet that look, and she would often offer me her trembling lip to kiss much more like a little affectionate half-broken-hearted child than ever i can imagine any grown person one time the trembling of this poor lip was so strong and her tears ran down so fast that i thought she was going to tell me all her woe so i takes her two hands in mine and i says no my dear not now you had best not try to do it now wait for better times when you have got over this and are strong, and then you shall tell me whatever you will. Shall it be agreed? With our hands still joined, she nodded her head many times, and she lifted my hands and put them to her lips and to her bosom. "'Only one word now, my dear,' I says. "'Is there any one?' She looked inquiringly. "'Any one?' "'That I can go to?' She shook her head no one that i can bring she shook her head no one is wanted by me my dear now that may be considered past and gone not much more than a week afterwards for this was far on in the time of our being so together i was bending over at her bedside with my ear down to her lips by turns listening for her breath and looking for a sign of life in her face at last it came in a solemn way not in a flash but like a kind of pale faint light brought very slow to the face she said something to me that had no sound in it but i saw she asked me is this death and i says poor dear poor dear i think it is knowing somehow that she wanted me to move her weak right hand i took it and laid it on her breast and then folded her other hand upon it and she prayed a good, good prayer, and I joined in it. Poor me, though there were no words spoke. Then I brought the baby in its wrappers from where it lay, and I says, My dear, this is sent to a childless old woman. This is for me to take care of. The trembling lip was put up towards my face for the last time, and I dearly kissed it. Yes, my dear, I says, please God, me and the major.' i don't know how to tell it right but i saw her soul brighten and leap up and get free and fly away in the grateful look so this is the why and wherefore of its coming to pass my dear that we called him jemmy being after the major his own godfather with lirriper for a surname being after myself and never was a dear child such a brightening thing in a lodgings or such a playmate to his grandmother as jemmy to this house and me and always good and minding what he was told upon the whole and soothing for the temper and making everything pleasanter except when he grew old enough to drop his cap down wozenham's airy, and they wouldn't hand it up to him and being worked into a state i put on my best bonnet and gloves and parasol with the child in my hand and i says miss wozenham i little thought ever to have entered your house but unless my grandson's cap is instantly restored the laws of this country regulating the property of the subject shall at length decide betwixt yourself and me cost what it may with a sneer upon her face which did strike me i must say as being expressive of two keys but it may have been a mistake and if there is any doubt let miss Woznam have the full benefit of it as is but right she rang the bell and she says jane is there a street child's old cap down our airy and i says miss wozenham before your housemate answers that question you must allow me to inform you to your face that my grandson is not a street child and is not in the habit of wearing old caps in fact i says miss wozenham i am far from sure that my grandson's cap may not be newer than your own which was perfectly savage in me her lace being the commonest machine make washed and worn besides but i had been put into a state to begin with fomented by impertinence miss wozenham says red in the face jane you heard my question is there any child's cap down our airy yes ma'am says jane i think i did see such rubbish a lion here then says miss wozenham let these visitors out and then throw up that worthless article out of my premises but here the child who had been staring at miss wozenham with all his eyes and more frowns down his little eyebrows purses up his little mouth puts his chubby legs far apart turns his little dimpled fists round and round slowly over one another like a little coffee-mill and says to her o oh, impdent to me gran me to high. oh says miss wozenham looking down scornfully at the mite this is not a street child is it not really i bursts out laughing and i says miss wozenham if this ain't a pretty sight to you i don't envy your feelings and i wish you good day jemmy come along with gran and i was still in the best of humours though his cap came flying up into the street as if it had been just turned on out of the water-plug and i went home laughing all the way all owing to that dear boy the miles and miles that me and the major have travelled with jemmy in the dusk between the lights are not to be calculated jemmy driving on the coach-box which is the major's brass-bound writing-desk on the table me inside in the easy-chair and the major guard up behind with a brown paper horn doing it really wonderful i do assure you my dear that sometimes when i have taken a few winks in my place inside the coach and have come half awake by the flashing light of the fire and have heard that precious pet driving and the major blowing up behind to have the change of horses ready when we got to the inn i have half believed we were on the old north road that my poor lirriper knew so well then to see that child and the major both wrapped up getting down to warm their feet and going stamping about and having glasses of ale out of the paper match-boxes on the chimney-piece is to see the major enjoying it fully as much as the child i am very sure and it's equal to any play when coachy opens the coach door to look in at me inside and say "Wary pat that stage brightened old lady but what my inexpressible feelings were when we lost that child can only be compared to the major's which were not a shade better through his straying out at five years old and eleven o'clock in the forenoon and never heard of by word or sign or deed till half-past nine at night when the major had gone to the editor of the times newspaper to put in an advertisement which came out next day four and twenty hours after he was found and which i mean always carefully to keep in my lavender drawer as the first printed account of him the more the day got on the more i got distracted and the major too and both of us made worse by the composed ways of the police though very civil and obliging and what i must call their obstinacy in not entertaining the idea that he was stolen we mostly find mum says the sergeant who had came round to comfort me which he didn't at all and he had been one of the private constables in caroline's time to which he referred in his opening words when he said don't give way to uneasiness in your mind mum it'll all come as right as my nose did when i got the same barked by that young woman in your second floor says this sergeant we mostly find, Mum, as people ain't over-anxious to have what I may call second-hand children. You'll get him back, Mum. Oh, but my dear good sir, I says, clasping my hands and wringing them, and clasping them again, he is such an uncommon child. Yes, Mum, says the sergeant, we mostly find that too, Mum. The question is what his clothes were worth his clothes i says were not worth much sir for he had only got his playing dress on but the dear child all right mum says the sergeant you'll get him back mum and even if he'd had his best clothes on it wouldn't come to worse than his being found wrapped up in a cabbage leaf a-shivering in a lane his words pierced my heart like daggers and daggers, and me and the Major ran in and out like wild things all day long, till the Major, returning from his interview with the editor of the Times at night, rushes into my little room, hysterical, and squeezes my hand and wipes his eyes and says, "'Joy! Joy! Officer in plain clothes came up on the steps as I was letting myself in. Compose your feelings! Jemmy's found!' consequently i fainted away and when i came to embraced the legs of the officer in plain clothes who seemed to be taking a kind of a quiet inventory in his mind of the property in my little room with brown whiskers and i says blessings on you sir where is the darling and he says in kennington station house i was dropping at his feet stone at the image of that innocence in cells with murderers when he adds he followed the monkey i says deeming it slang language oh sir explain for a loving grandmother what monkey he says him in the spangled cap with the strap under his chin as don't keep on him as sweeps the crossings on a round table and don't want to draw his sabre more than he can help then i understood it all and most thankfully thanked him and me and the major and him drove over to kennington and there we found our boy lying quite comfortable before a blazing fire having sweetly played himself to sleep upon a little accordion nothing like so big as a flat iron which they had been so kind as to lend him for the purpose and which it appeared had been stopped upon a very young person my dear the system upon which the major commenced and as i may say perfected jemmy's learning when he was so small that if the deer was on the other side of the table you had to look under it instead of over it to see him with his mother's own bright hair in beautiful curls is a thing that ought to be known to the throne and lords and commons and then might obtain some promotion for the major which he well deserves and would be none the worse for speaking between friends l s d ickley when the major first undertook his learning he says to me i'm going madam he says to make our child a calculating boy major i says you terrify me and may do the pet a permanent injury you would never forgive yourself madam says the major next to my regret that when i had my boot sponge in my hand i didn't choke that scoundrel with it on the spot there for gracious sake i interrupts let his conscience find him without sponges i say next to that regret madam says the major would be the regret with which my breast which he tapped would be surcharged if this fine mind was not early cultivated but mark me madam says the major holding up his forefinger cultivated on a principle that will make it a delight major i says i will be candid with you and tell you openly that if ever i find the dear child fall off in his appetite i shall know it is his calculations and shall put a stop to them at two minutes notice or if i find them mounting to his head i says or striking anyways cold to his stomach or leading to anything approaching flabbiness in his legs the result will be the same but major you are a clever man and have seen much and you love the child and are his own godfather and if you feel a confidence in trying try spoken madam says the major like emma Liriper all i have to ask madam is that you will leave my godson and myself to make a week or two's preparation for surprising you and that you will give me leave to have up and down any small articles not actually in use that i may require from the kitchen from the kitchen major i says half feeling as if he had a mind to cook the child from the kitchen says the major and smiles and swells and at the same time looks taller so i passed my word and the major and the dear boy were shut up together for half an hour at a time through a certain while and never could i hear anything going on betwixt them but talking and laughing and jemmy clapping his hands and screaming out numbers so i says to myself it has not harmed him yet nor could i on examining the deer find any signs of it anywhere about him which was likewise a great relief at last one day jimmy brings me a card in joke in the major's neat writing the messrs jimmy jackson for we had given him the major's other name too requested the honour of miss lirriper's company at the jackman institution in the front parlour this evening at five military time to witness a few slight feats of elementary arithmetic and if you'll believe me there in the front parlour at five punctual to the moment was the major behind the pembroke table with both leaves up and a lot of things from the kitchen tidily set out on old newspapers spread atop of it and there was the mite stood up on a chair with his rosy cheeks flushing and his eyes sparkling clusters of diamonds now gran says he oot it down and don't oot touch le people for he saw with every one of those diamonds of his that i was going to give him a squeeze very well, sir, I says, I am obedient in this good company, I am sure, and I sits down in the easy chair that was put for me, shaking my sides. But picture my admiration when the major going on almost as quick as if he was conjuring sets out of all the articles he names, and says, Three saucepans, an Italian iron, a hand-bell, a toasting-fork, a nutmeg grinder, four pot-lids, a spice-box, two egg-cups and a chopping-board how many and when that mite instantly cries tifteen tut down five and carry der lappen board and then claps his hands draws up his legs and dances on his chair my dear with the same astonishing ease and correctness him and the major added up the tables chairs and sophy the pictures, fenders and firearms with their own selves me and the cat and the eyes in miss wozenham's head and whenever the sum was done young roses and diamonds claps his hand and draws up his legs and dances on his chair the pride of the major here's a mind madam he says to me behind his hand then he says aloud we now come to the next elementary rule which is called umptraction cries jemmy right says the major we have here a toasting-fork a potato in its natural state two pot lids one egg cup a wooden spoon and two skewers from which it is necessary for commercial purposes to subtract a sprat gridiron a small pickle jar two lemons one pepper caster a black beetle trap and a knob of the dresser drawer what remains Toten fork cries jemmy in numbers how many says the major one cries jemmy here's a boy ma'am says the major to me behind his hand then the major goes on we now approach the next elementary rule which is entitled tickalication says jimmy correct says the major but my dear to relate to you in detail the way in which they multiplied fourteen sticks of firewood by two bits of ginger and a larding needle or divided pretty well everything else there was on the table by the heater of the italian iron and a chamber candlestick and got a lemon over would make my head spin round and round and round as it did at the time so i says if you'll excuse my addressing the chair professor jackman i think the period of the lecture has now arrived when it becomes necessary that i should take a good hug of this young scholar upon which jemmy calls out from his station on the chair grand ou open ou arms and mew me a p'ring into him." So I opened my arms to him, as I had opened my sorrowful heart when his poor young mother lay a-dying, and he had his jump, and we had a good long hug together, and the major, prouder than any peacock, says to me behind his hand, "'You need not let him know it, madam,' which I certainly need not, for the major was quite audible, but he is a boy.' in this way jemmy grew and grew and went to day-school and continued under the major too and in summer we were as happy as the days were long and in winter we were as happy as the days were short and there seemed to rest a blessing on the lodgings for they as good as let themselves and would have done it if there had been twice the accommodation when sore and hard against my will i one day says to the major major you know what i am going to break to you our boy must go to boarding-school it was a sad sight to see the major's countenance drop and i pitied the good soul with all my heart yes major i says though he is as popular with the lodgers as you are yourself and though he is to you and me what only you and me know still it is in the course of things and life is made of partings and we must part with our pet bold as i spoke i saw two majors and half a dozen fireplaces and when the poor major put one of his neat bright varnished boots upon the fender and his elbow on his knee and his head upon his hand and rocked himself a little to and fro i was dreadfully cut up but says i clearing my throat you have so well prepared him major he has had such a tutor in you that he will have none of the first drudgery to go through and he is so clever besides that he'll soon make his way to the front rank he is a boy says the major having sniffed that has not his like on the face of the earth true as you say major and it is not for us merely for our own sakes to do anything to keep him back from being a credit and an ornament wherever he goes and perhaps even rising to be a great man is it major HE WILL HAVE ALL MY LITTLE SAVINGS WHEN MY WORK IS DONE, BEING ALL THE WORLD TO ME, AND WE MUST TRY TO MAKE HIM A WISE MAN AND A GOOD MAN, MUSTN'T WE, MAJOR? "'Madam,' says the major, rising, Jemmy Jackman is becoming an older file than I was aware of, and you put him to shame. You are thoroughly right, madam. You are simply and undeniably right, and if you'll excuse me, I'll take a walk.' So the major being gone out, and Jemmy being at home, I got the child into my little room here, and I stood him by my chair, and I took his mother's own curls in my hand, and I spoke to him loving and serious. And when I had reminded the darling how that he was now in his tenth year, and when I had said to him about his getting on in life pretty much what I had said to the major— i broke to him how that we must have this same parting and there i was forced to stop for there i saw of a sudden the well-remembered lip with its tremble and it so brought back that time but with the spirit that was in him he controlled it soon and he says gravely nodding through his tears i understand gran i know it must be gran go on gran don't be afraid of me and when i had said all that was ever i could think of he turned his bright steady face to mine and he says just a little broken here and there you shall see Grand, that i can be a man and that i can do anything that is grateful and loving to you and if i don't grow up to be what you would like to have me i hope it will be because i shall die and with that he sat down by me and i went on to tell him of the school of which i had excellent recommendations and where it was and how many scholars and what games they played as i had heard and what length of holidays to all of which he listened bright and clear and so it came that at last he says and now dear gran let me kneel down here where i have been used to say my prayers and let me fold my face for just a minute in your gown and let me cry for you have been more than father more than mother more than brothers sisters friends to me and so he did cry and i too and we were both much the better for it from that time forth he was true to his word and ever blithe and ready and even when me and the major took him down into lincolnshire he was far the gayest of the party though for sure and certain he might easily have been that but he really was and put life into us only when it came to the last good-bye he says with a wistful look you wouldn't have me not really sorry would you gran and when i says no dear lord forbid he says i am glad of that and ran in out of sight but now that the child was gone out of the lodgings the major fell into a regularly moping state it was taken notice of by all the lodgers that the major moped he hadn't even the same air of being rather tall that he used to have and if he varnished his boots with a single gleam of interest it was as much as he did one evening the major came into my little room to take a cup of tea and a morsel of buttered toast and to read jammy's newest letter which had arrived that afternoon by the very same postman more than middle-aged upon the beat now and the letter raising him up a little i says to the major major you mustn't get into a moping way the major shook his head Jemmy Jackson, madam,' he says, with a deep sigh, "'is an older file than I thought him. "'Moping is not the way to grow younger, Major.' "'My dear madam,' says the Major, "'is there any way of growing younger?' Feeling that the Major was getting rather the best of that point, I made a diversion to another. Thirteen years! Thirteen years! Many lodgers have come and gone in the thirteen years that you have lived in the parlours, Major.' ah says the major warming many madam many and i should say you have been familiar with them all as a rule with its exceptions like all rules my dear madam says the major they have honoured me with their acquaintance and not unfrequently with their confidence watching the major as he drooped his white head and stroked his black mustachios and moped again a thought which i think must have been going about looking for an owner somewhere dropped into my old noddle if you will excuse the expression the walls of my lodgings i says in a casual way for my dear it is of no use going straight at a man who mopes might have something to tell if they could tell it the major neither moved nor said anything but i saw he was attending with his shoulders my dear attending with his shoulders to what i said in fact i saw that his shoulders were struck by it the dear boy was always fond of story-books i went on like as if i was talking to myself i am sure this house his own home might write a story or two for his reading one day or another the major's shoulders gave a dip and a curve and his head came up in his shirt-collar the major's head came up in his shirt-collar as i hadn't seen it come up since jimmy went to school it is unquestionable that in intervals of cribbage and of friendly rubber my dear madam says the major and also over what used to be called in my young times in the salad days of jimmy jackman the social glass i have exchanged many a reminiscence with your lodgers my remark was i confess i made it with the deepest and artfullest of intentions i wish our dear boy had heard them are you serious madam Asked the major starting and turning full round why not major madam says the major turning up one of his cuffs they shall be written for him ah now you speak i says giving my hands a pleased clap now you are in a way out of moping major between this and my holidays i mean the dear boys says the major turning up his other cuff a good deal may be done towards it major you are a clever man and you have seen much and not a doubt of it i'll begin says the major looking as tall as ever he did to-morrow my dear, the major was another man in three days, and he was himself again in a week. And he wrote and wrote and wrote with his pen scratching like rats behind the wainscot. And whether he had many rounds to go upon or whether he did at all romance, I cannot tell you. But what he has written is in the left-hand glass closet of the little bookcase close behind you. Chapter two how the parlours added a few words i have the honour of presenting myself to the name of jackman i esteem it a proud privilege to go down to posterity through the instrumentality of the most remarkable boy that ever lived by the name of jimmy jackman lirriper and of my most worthy and most highly respected friend mrs emma lirriper of eighty-one norfolk street strand in the county of middlesex in the united kingdom of great britain and ireland it is not for me to express the rapture with which we received that dear and eminently remarkable boy on the occurrence of his first christmas holidays suffice it to observe that when he came flying into the house with two splendid prizes arithmetic and exemplary conduct mrs lirriper and myself embraced with emotion and instantly took him to the play where we were all three admirably entertained nor is it to render homage to the virtues of the best of her good and honoured sex, whom in deference to her unassuming worth I will only here designate by the initials E. L. that I add this record to the bundle of papers with which our, in a most distinguished degree, remarkable boy has expressed himself delighted before reconsigning the same to the left-hand glass closet of Mrs. Lirriper's little bookcase neither is it to obtrude the name of the old original superannuated obscure jemmy jackman once to his degradation of wasms long to his elevation of lirripers, if i could be consciously guilty of that piece of bad taste it would indeed be a work of supererogation now that the name is borne by jemmy jackman liriper no i take up my humble pen to register a little record of our strikingly remarkable boy which my poor capacity regards as presenting a pleasant little picture of the dear boy's mind the picture may be interesting to himself when he is a man our first reunited christmas day was the most delightful one we have ever passed together jemmy was never silent for five minutes except in church-time he talked as we sat by the fire he talked when we were out walking he talked as we sat by the fire again he talked incessantly at dinner though he made a dinner almost as remarkable as himself it was the spring of happiness in his fresh young heart flowing and flowing and it fertilized if i may be allowed so bold a figure my much esteemed friend and j j the present writer there were only we three we dined in my esteemed friend's little room and our entertainment was perfect but everything in the establishment is in neatness order and comfort always perfect after dinner our boy slipped away to his old stool at my esteemed friend's knee and there with his hot chestnuts and his glass of brown sherry really a most excellent wine on a chair for a table his face outshone the apples in the dish we talked of these jottings of mine which jemmy had read through and through by that time and so it came about that my esteemed friend remarked as she sat smoothing jemmy's curls and as you belong to the house too jemmy and so much more than the lodgers having been born in it why your story ought to be added to the rest i think one of these days jemmy's eyes sparkled at this and he said so i think gran then he sat looking at the fire and then he began to laugh in a sort of confidence with the fire and then he said folding his arms across my esteemed friend's lap and raising his bright face to hers would you like to hear a boy's story gran of all things replied my esteemed friend would you godfather of all things i too replied well then said jemmy i'll tell you one here our indisputably remarkable boy gave himself a hug and laughed again musically at the idea of his coming out in that new line then he once more took the fire into the same sort of confidence as before and began once upon a time when pigs drank wine and monkeys chewed tobacco, 'twas twas neither in your time nor mine but that's no macker bless the child cried my esteemed friend what's amiss with his brain it's poetry gran returned jemmy shouting with laughter we always begin stories that way at school gave me quite a turn major said my esteemed friend fanning herself with a plate thought he was light-headed in those remarkable times gran and godfather there was once a boy not me you know no no says my respected friend not you not him major you understand no no says i and he went to school in rutlandshire why not lincolnshire says my respected friend why not you dear old gran because i go to school in lincolnshire don't i ah to be sure says my respected friend and it's not jemmy you understand major no no says i well our boy proceeded hugging himself comfortably and laughing merrily again in confidence with the fire before he again looked up in mrs lirriper's face and so he was tremendously in love with his schoolmaster's daughter and she was the most beautiful creature that ever was seen and she had brown eyes and she had brown hair all curling beautifully and she had a delicious voice and she was delicious altogether and her name was seraphina what's the name of your schoolmaster's daughter jemmy asked my respected friend polly replied jemmy pointing his forefinger at her there now caught you ha 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 when he and my respected friend had had a laugh and a hug together our admittedly remarkable boy resumed with a great relish well and so he loved her and so he thought about her, and dreamed about her, and made her presents of oranges and nuts, and would have made her presents of pearls and diamonds, if he could have afforded it, out of his pocket-money, but he couldn't. And so her father, oh, he was a tartar, keeping the boys up to the mark, holding examinations once a month, lecturing upon all sorts of subjects at all sorts of times, and knowing everything in the world out of book. And so this boy— had he any name asked my respected friend no he hadn't gran ha ha there now caught you again after this they had another laugh and another hug and then our boy went on well and so this boy he had a friend about as old as himself at the same school and his name for he had a name as it happened was uh, let me remember was bobo not bob says my respected friend of course not says jemmy what made you think it was gran well and so this friend was the cleverest and bravest and best-looking and most generous of all the friends that ever were and so he was in love with seraphina's sister and so seraphina's sister was in love with him and so they all grew up bless us says my respected friend they were very sudden about it so they all grew up, our boy repeated, laughing heartily, and Bobo and this boy went away together on horseback to seek their fortunes, and they partly got their horses by favour and partly in a bargain. That is to say, they had saved up between them seven and fourpence, and the two horses, being Arabs, were worth more, only the man said he wouldn't take that to favour them. Well, and so they made their fortunes and came prancing back to the school with their pockets full of gold enough to last forever. ever and so they rang at the parents and visitors bell not the back gate and when the bell was answered they proclaimed the same as if it was scarlet fever every boy goes home for an indefinite period and then there was a great hurrahing and then they kissed seraphina and her sister each his own love and not the other's on any account and then they ordered the tartar into instant confinement poor man said my respected friend into instant confinement gran repeated jemmy trying to look severe and roaring with laughter and he was to have nothing to eat but the boys dinners and was to drink half a cask of their beer every day and so then the preparations were made for the two weddings, and there were hampers, and potted things, and sweet things, and nuts, and postage stamps, and all manner of things. And so they were so jolly that they let the tartar out, and he was jolly too. "'I am glad they let him out,' says my respected friend, "'because he had only done his duty.' "'Oh, but hadn't he overdone it, though?' cried Jemmy. "'Well!' and so then this boy mounted his horse with his bride in his arms and cantered away and cantered on and on till he came to a certain place where he had a certain gran and a certain godfather not you two you know oh no no we both said and there he was received with great rejoicings and he filled the cupboard and the bookcase with gold and he showered it out on his gran and his godfather because they were the two kindest and dearest people that ever lived in this world and so while they were sitting up to their knees in gold a knocking was heard at the street door and who should it be but bobo also on horseback with his bride in his arms and what had he come to say but that he would take at double rent all the lodgings for ever that were not wanted by this boy and his gran and this godfather and that they would all live together and all be happy and so they were and so it never ended. And was there no quarrelling? asked my respected friend as Jemmy sat upon her lap and hugged her. No, nobody ever quarrelled. And did the money never melt away? No, nobody could ever spend it all. And did none of them ever grow older? No, nobody ever grew older after that. And did none of them ever die? oh no 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 gran exclaimed our dear boy laying his cheek upon her breast and drawing her closer to him nobody ever died oh major major says my respected friend smiling benignly upon me this beats our stories let us end with the boy's story major for the boy's story is the best that is ever told in submission to which request on the part of the best of women I have here noted it down as faithfully as my best abilities, coupled with my best intentions, would permit subscribing it with my name, J. Jackman, The Parlours, Mrs. Lirriper's Lodgings. End of story sixteen, part two.